You're listening to The Cannabis Hangout, two girls, one bowl, and a podcast that is breaking the stigma of marijuana. My name is Brandon. And my name is Saba. We will be connecting with a community of cannabis enthusiasts by educating people, sharing stories from medical marijuana patients, and interviewing industry leaders while debunking cannabis myths. So we invite you to come roll with us while while we we break break it all down. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I'm Brandon. And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Emma Chasen, who is a thriving cannabis enthusiast with a passion to learn and share the science of the cannabis plant and everything that comes along with it. With her plethora of knowledge in the industry, we're honored to have her on today. So let's just jump to it so we can get all the details. So please welcome Emma to the Cannabis Hangout. Hi, Emma. Hi, Sama. Hi, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. So, Emma, let's just dive right in. We know you've been in the cannabis game for a minute, so let's start with you telling us where and when you consumed cannabis for the first time. Sure. So, I have, as you said, been working in the cannabis industry for now over six years, which in cannabis years, that feels like a whole lifetime. Yes. But I was kind of late to the, like, cannabis consumption um, game for myself. Throughout high school, I like very much adopted a puritanical approach. Uh, I was super focused on my academics and I definitely, you know, internalized the kind of um, dare, don't do drugs, mm-hmm. negative stigma right. around cannabis. And so I didn't choose to consume at all. And even going into college, I went to Brown for my undergraduate and I like chose substance-free housing. <laughs> I checked that box because <laughs> I didn't even want to be around it. Like that's how um, insane I was at the time. And so I, upon getting into college, I joined an acapella group and I like started really connecting with this girl who was a junior and she was brilliant brilliant and she smoked a ton of weed and I mean at Brown everybody smoked a ton of weed so here I was just like around like the smartest people in the world and they were all consuming cannabis so that was kind of my first inclination that okay you know what I had previously believed about cannabis um you know just driving apathy and laziness and you know Mm -hmm. et cetera et cetera et cetera wasn't really true and um I I kind of like tell a funny story about how weed made me gay or vice versa in that um, I had had a boyfriend coming into college, but like, like I said, really connected with this girl. Um, and to impress her, I was like, teach me how to smoke. I want to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have the vivid memory still of um, sitting in her dorm room and her like showing me how to pack a bowl and, us smoking together and I didn't get high the first time, but I definitely acted like I did. (laughs) Let's like cuddle. And then the rest of history ended up dating her for two years and also ended up really falling in love with cannabis myself, you know, after trying it multiple times and experiencing the psychotropic effects. Um, I, I just really like found that it worked for my social anxiety and was something that I, I loved consuming. Um, and at the same time I was taking this course, uh, botanical roots of modern medicine, where we were exploring the entheogenic substances and different secondary metabolites of those substances. And so it was kind of this like light bulb moment, like one of those moments in your life where like, I feel like the path just becomes so clear. And to me it was like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what 
I want to focus on um, moving forward and, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That was a really well-rounded story. It was. <laughs> I love how like you were so against or just didn't yeah. know, you know, or just uneducated in the beginning and then you just like did like a whole turn and it seems like everything has like aligned in the way it should for you. Yes, that's exactly how it felt. Was that's awesome. Like, oh, this is perfect timing, you know? Yeah. And, and it did. It changed the course. And that's how it my, should be. My path. That's so cool to hear. So Emma, what would you say, what does your family think about what you do? Were there any barriers you had to overcome with them when it came to cannabis? Oh, absolutely. I mean, growing up, part of, you know, my puritanical kind of uh, attitude towards cannabis, and not only cannabis, but alcohol, all drugs definitely came from my family. Mm -hmm. I like have never seen my mother drink ever. Um, And like it it was seen as like the devil's lettuce, you know, I have, um, a very Italian family. Okay. And, and so there was just a lot of uh, judgment around any drug use at all. And we're also very high achieving. And so anything that, you know, might not make you achieve as, as well as you could or to your fullest potential is something to be scared of. And so when I first started uh, consuming cannabis, I remember that I was home on a break from school and I like would sneak out and like smoke on my back deck at like one in the morning. And one time my mom came down and opened the door and she just started crying. Like, oh no, (laughs) I'm so afraid for you and was just really upset. And since then we've made huge strides um, where they are now way more open. But I remember that after college, I had taken a job uh, doing oncology research through Brown's um, research organization. And it just was not for me. I I saw, you know, just how profitable the cancer industry is. Yes. And uh, there was even an opportunity, a professor had proposed a cannabis trial to this office. And uh, my supervisor just like laughed him out of the office. And so that was the moment for me where I was like, mm, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And so I decided after I left that job that I was going to move across the country sight unseen to Portland, Oregon, and kind of see if I can make it out there, see if I liked it. And then, you know, with the hopes of maybe joining the cannabis industry at some point. And my family was just like, what are you doing? Yes. I educated. You had a job and you're like in your Ivy League research organization. Like, what are you doing? And so that was definitely the the sentiment that I left with, though they were like, you know, we trust you, go right. for it. And mm-hmm. I think since just seeing, you know, how much I have built and the work that I'm doing focused around, you know, education um, and training and, and specifically, you know, skill science and, and research has helped them kind of change their tune as far as being, again, so afraid. That's so cool that you're like teaching and inspiring your family, but you're Mm -hmm. so ambitious and brave just to like move across the country and follow your heart and do what you want and like not even caring what anyone else thinks. So that's awesome. That is very cool. It's very bold. I feel like not everyone can just do that, especially when you do come from such a strong family that, you know, has never consumed or that's raised how you've been raised. And then to kind of break that stigma is very bold. And I love that. Yeah. And it's just like that. I've always had within me a certain like intuitive, like gut um, feeling where Mm -hmm. when I'm called to something, I'm called to something. And, 
And so I do give my family a lot of credit for just trusting that in mm-hmm. me and being like, okay, go. And if you fall, you know, we'll catch you. Um, and also being very receptive and open to, you know, changing their own ideas. Like, you know, my mom now is like thinking about, she's a therapist, so she's thinking about, you know, becoming like a psilocybin assisted therapist. Wow. And that, like, so cool. That's so cool. Have happened oh a few gosh. years ago. Yeah. You're like, what so, is happening? <laughs> I know. I know. But it's hopeful that, you know, people can change. Yes. People can like come around and change, even in my own story. Right. I, right. I, also held those beliefs but then you have you know that one experience where you're made privy to certain data and it's it just you can change your mind and that's yeah that's good it you is know, good. part of life absolutely so emma we all have our favorite ways to consume cannabis what type of consumer are you oh i am more of an edible girl myself okay. i love the you know the moment of realization or i I lack thereof of realization where it's like <laughs> two hours after I've eaten an edible and I'm just like, oh my God, I feel amazing. Why do I feel amazing? And it's like, oh, right. I eat an edible. <laughs> yes. I, that, like, I forgot. Surprise. Yes. Yeah. Where it creeps up on you. It's a treat. Um, and exactly. It's an unexpected little treat. Yeah. And I used to be a pretty heavy doser where I would, you know, consume about 50 to 75 milligrams. But since I've um, been working in the industry, I've really become uh, or fallen in love with just the idea of like microdosing. So taking, you know, three milligrams of THC coupled with a few milligrams of CBD and, um, you know, gaining levity in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Microdosing is always key. Yeah. 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 And I also do love still smoking flour, you know, um, like combining it with other medicinal herbs, especially, Um, And like rolling up a a joint or a blunt is always something that feels like, again, such a treat of just like, yeah. uh, So what what medicinal herbs do you add? Mm, So I love something that's going to enhance the flavor. So lemon balm is a big one since I'm such a fan of citrus terpenes. Um, I also like something that is going to maybe help to curb some of the anxiety that may so something like passion flower, which is really hmm. good for relaxation. Okay. If I'm passion looking for flower. something that gives a little like heartier of a smoke, um, like something akin to tobacco, then adding some mullein in there is also um, a really kind of good idea if I want, you know, lung, lung protectant, but that feels like a, a heartier earthy yeah. smoke to it. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's good I love that. I love when people talk. I know. Herbs. <laughs> yes. So we know that people run with the basic indica sativa hybrid names when going into a dispensary, but it, we know it's so much more than that. What are your thoughts on the sativa indica binary versus focusing on the chemotypes to determine the effects mm. for your body? Mm. So the indica sativa kind of binary and what I'll say myth is something that I definitely teach as kind of one of the fundamental principles of um, the way in which I think that we need to begin to look at cannabis to predict experience. So indica and sativa, as we know them now, and as most people um, come to understand them, they're species of cannabis. And in the way that species are defined is by uh, an organism's morphology, so specifically with cannabis, the way in which cannabis grows. And I often tell my students that at the time that these taxonomists were, you know, creating these terms indica and sativa, there is no note or account of them like smoking up an indica blunt and being like, oh my God, I'm so into couch right now. <laughs> yeah. you know, really they were just 
noting the way in which the plant grew. So sativa having tall and lanky structure, mm-hmm. loose female flowers, narrow leaves, and indica having somewhat of the opposite of, you know, short, stout, dense female flowers, broad leaves. And even if at one point the indica species and the sativa species, you know, had um, more likelihood to have a certain type of compound in them that would then, you know, help to determine their effect, it doesn't really matter now because most everything on the current market is hybridized. Most everything is a hybrid, even if it is classified as indica sativa, just the prolific breeding that occurred during prohibition. There was no scientific, you know, accounts. There was no legitimacy when it came to naming. There were no standard operating procedures that were followed. There were no, uh, you know, general rules even Mm -hmm. that were followed just because of the illicit nature of it. And so what we ended up getting was an incredibly hybridized population, an incredibly diverse population of cannabis genetics, which have led to some, you know, amazing compound differentiation and compound concentration, which is great for us because it increases the therapeutic value of cannabis. However, it definitely makes it impossible then to categorize most of what's on the market into these indica and sativa distinctions um, as, you know, it's just, the, the, the genetics just are not pure or land race, we'll say, um, as they would have been at the time of their classification in the 1700s. And so instead, really the only way that I think that we can, you know, make the best possible prediction for how a variety might make someone feel is by looking at the actual compounds in that specific batch, in that specific flower that people are consuming. And then how do those compounds enact physiologically on the body to, you know, produce a certain nuanced mood and therapeutic properties. Wow. Very, Very well said. said. Yeah. <laughs> that was so uh, great to listen to. I feel like Brandon and I are obviously in this space to educate, but it's always, we love to be educated and it's cool to hear you even break it All down like that. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. history of it, because that's not you know, something people are familiar with. I feel like people just know what they know now. And it's not the route that they take when they're going to shop at a dispensary. Yeah. Like, yeah, the people who care about the mm-hmm. profiles, you know, but yeah, that's just a great way of explaining and breaking it down, I'd say. Yes. So, um, what? Oh, wow. Okay. It can be overwhelming when um, wanting to work in cannabis. So, um, or where to even begin, really, what was the turning point where you knew education was what you wanted to provide for this industry? And where did you begin? Mm, Yeah. So I began in this industry in a dispensary. So I started off as a bud tender and I thought I was going to be in, you know, cannabis retail for like a couple months before I found something more in the the scientific research field, but I just ended up loving it. I loved connecting with the patients and the customers and really, you know, helping them understand cannabis, cannabis products and the way in which it might impact them. And I eventually moved up to become a general manager where then I was overseeing about a staff of 20 at the dispensary. And one of the things that just really struck me, even from my own experience training, was the lack of training. <laughs> was that, you know, really we were just kind of thrown onto the floor and we're like, all right, you know, good luck, ask questions, but like do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was manager, especially given my academic background, 
in medicinal plant research, I just thought, no, we need something more comprehensive here in order to, you know, best serve our community. It's such a disservice to both the bud tender and the patient to, you know, not have the bud tender be educated. It's really uncomfortable from a bud tender's perspective to not know the answers to things. And a patient is coming to bud tenders with questions that sometimes their doctors can't even answer. And so they're looking to the bud tender as these, you know, sole person who can answer their questions, hopefully. And if they can't, or if they give misinformation, even that could be dangerous and li- a liability for the business. And again, a disservice to the patient. So mm-hmm. that's, as manager, I really started to, you know, implement some more comprehensive kind of training guidelines. I started to create a training program for the dispensary where I was at. And then after a year as manager, I actually petitioned the ownership to create a new role and give it to me, which was director of education. And so then in that role, I really focused on the scientific training of cannabis, making sure that, you know, all varieties were analyzed based on their lab results for their different compounds and how it might make someone feel and making sure that staff was just up to date, you know, with any research or vendor education um, or, you know, cannabis education in general that they needed. And I I did that for about seven months until I I thought, no, I want to take this to a larger arena um, where, I mean, people just need to have access to this type of education all across the board. Um, and so that's, that's when I really began, you know, working freelancing for myself and then eventually creating Eminent with my business partner to really bring education to the forefront of people's business models in cannabis because I think it is so crucial for, you know, the, the growth and evolution of this industry and also crucial in helping businesses kind of stand out. Um, You're only as good as your staff and your staff is only as good as what you teach them. And so making sure that bud tenders and industry professionals, you know, in general, just have access to reputable, scientifically minded educational materials is imperative. That's honestly, that's awesome, Emma. I feel like that what you're providing and what you do is something, everything you said is what there is a huge lack in, especially like in Oklahoma, I feel like everyone got so excited that, you know, cannabis was legal. And of course it's seen as a big recreational thing, which yeah, people use it recreationally. Awesome. But I feel like the lack of education that people throw in the dispensary aspect as, especially as dispensary owners, there has been a huge lack of, and there's only a handful of dispensaries I go to because they are so education based. And I know when I ask a question, I'm going to be given the appropriate response no matter if my bud tender is never the same. So I love that. Um, I really love everything you said because I feel like that really is so applicable to where the industry is currently and where it needs to advance to. So with that being said, tell us about Eminent Consulting and um, you know just what services people can um, expect from you and what all you guys offer. Yeah, so Eminent, uh, we have had Eminent for the past three years now. And it's myself and my business partner, Matt Taylor. And we we joined forces to really create this educational program that could live online and be available and accessible to dispensaries and their staff, but also to any you know other industry professional or lay enthusiast who just wanted to increase their knowledge when it came to the fundamental elements of cannabis science. And so we... Um, 
you know, wrote, produced, and executed the full eight-course program with many different learning learning modules, and it is up online and running now. So that um, is always, you know, where my passion has lied through Eminent. I'd say that most of what we've done with Eminent in terms of, you know, helping different cannabis entrepreneurs kind of help get their businesses off the ground, help file different applications, um, licensing applications in various states, et cetera, have always been kind of in service of this larger mission of education. And um, that's kind of where we are at with it now. You know, I think that because the the um, online program is done and we've had some larger kind of business projects under our belt, mm-hmm. um, Matt and I at this point are, you know, thinking about how can we, again, just provide educational service to the cannabis industry and continue to speak about topics that are important to us and we believe are necessary for the growth and evolution. And how can we also make space for, you know, people who are coming in, especially um, black and brown people who want to get in on the action and Mm -hmm. who have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. Both Matt and I are white and we, you know, don't want to take up space that, um, that could go to somebody who is also passionate uh, and mm-hmm. driven about cannabis, especially um, if they have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And so we're, you know, in this space now where I think that we're a little bit quieter because we have our course program that's coming and, and rocking online that kind of runs itself, which is awesome. And we also want to make sure that we are, um, you know, doing our, our due diligence and kind of making space for um, people to come in who, who really deserve to be here. That's amazing. It really That's is. so amazing. I love the mission that you guys have. And I feel like there is more of need for that. And it's cool where you guys are headed and just everything you're about, even the online courses, Brandon and I are sitting here mouthing to each other about how we need to take your courses online. Yeah. Because yes. I mean, oh even just God. the education aspect of it, you know, we constantly thrive on being educated about yeah. cannabis and, and feeling more confident, knowing more. I mean, like it really helps individuals thrive and yes. as a business, like it's why not? Why wouldn't you? Why? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. to take ownership of my own consumption. I mean, obviously I know a decent amount, but I could always know more. And I'm like, well, shit, if I can learn more, then why not? Because that's more that I can pass on to my family or my friends that need it for certain reasons. It's more education. I just have this little brain of mine. (laughs) Exactly. And and really, I think that's how we grow the consumer base as well, which the cannabis industry kind of still sorely needs that reduction of negative stigma and Mm -hmm. making people feel comfortable with the idea that cannabis is here and it's helpful and it's you know, hopefully going to be here for a while and that it may even have something that could help you. And and the way that we do that is typically by word of mouth through community and by bringing, you know, just reasonable science to the table when it comes to this plant that has, you know, been unfairly judged with, with a lot of like rash claims. Yes. And that's, that was part of my focus with the program was like, no, we need to root it in scientific evidence. It needs to be reasonable and I mean, let's also have fun with it in the way that we present because cannabis is whimsical and yes, fun yes. and it can be both, you know, yeah. and that, that's kind of my whole thesis is that, yes, we have this science piece to it. We have this research piece to it, which is so important in advancing the conversation, but also cannabis is fun and uh, creative and whimsical and, and, you know, it, we don't have to choose. It doesn't have to be either or it can be. Yeah. Out. And like what other plant? 
can you use every single piece of from the root down to like the leaf and the stem? I feel like there's very little plants you Seriously. can do that with. So like, why not Seriously. enjoy it? <laughs> it's so crazy to yeah. me. It's a gift. Yeah. All right. You know, we're into terpenes, which is why we're jamming with Nevada's terpene rich, naturally flavored cannabis oil vaporizers that allow you to curate your high with their body mind series. Six experiences that range from full mind to full body. Sob, tell our listeners about the flavors. So each experience has a supporting flavor profile like strawberry, tangerine, tropical, lime, blueberry, and wild grape. The strawberry one is my favorite right now and it's good for being creative and working and helps me focus. And the wild grape is awesome for sleep and relief for me personally. Whether you're a seasoned smoker or someone new, everyone should be able to enjoy the full spectrum of wellness, mindfulness, and fun that cannabis can bring to life. Nevada will be available in the Oklahoma market on September 3rd and stay tuned for dispensary drops. I just watched a movie called The True History of Marijuana last night for um, a class. I'm, so I'm in a master's program at Jefferson University and pursuing an MS in medical cannabis science and business, which has been really fascinating. You're so cool, Emma. <laughs> you really are. That's so freaking cool. Just casual. <laughs> it's just been amazing to learn. Like, you know, as you were just saying, nev- I'm never done learning. I never want to be done learning. If I am, that's so boring. And so to kind of get back into class myself and learn from these renowned, you know, scientists and researchers who have been working on cannabis since like the 70s is amazing. But anyway, I watched... I watched the movie, The True History of um, Marijuana last night for my class, and they were just going over, you know, the at the turn of the 20th century, how hemp, you know, was projected to be this, like, the new billion-dollar crop, and Henry Ford even built a car out of hemp. What? And, like, used, uh-huh, and wow. used, like, hemp oil for, like, the fuel, and it was it literally was going to eclipse like the timber industry, paper industry, petrochemical industry, synthetic textile industry, the fuel industry, just like everything, the pharmaceutical industry. And then of course, that's why all those titans of industry at the time joined together and enacted prohibition and, you know, demonized this plant so that um, their financial interests would remain secure. And the fact that, you know, that those kinds of like, super powerful and nefarious players coming together have launched us into this, you know, prohibition mindset and also kind of taken away the opportunity for us to kind of just advance so far beyond, you know, Mm -hmm. these limited resources that we have and and are facing now. But um, how beautiful at the same time that this resurgence currently of cannabis and hemp could really help to, I don't want to say save us, but could help to kind of, you know, turn the tide when it comes to many different issues, including climate change and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the devastating effects of pharmaceuticals and um, other, other of those types of industries. Yeah, that's so real. I, you said it so beautifully. You're so well-spoken, Emma. We, this is awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so it's so special for us to interview other women in the cannabis industry that have been paving the way. We've been big fans of you prior to us even starting this podcast. And you were someone who's always just stood out to us as a leader in cannabis. What's that been like for you being a woman in a male-dominated space? Mm, great question. It um, definitely sucks, <laughs> yes. you know, to be real. Um there is, especially because 
of my age. I'm relatively young in terms of the people that I interact with. Um, I'm 28. And so, and especially, you know, I started working in the cannabis industry at 22. And so um, I, I would get passed over, I guess, until people heard me speak. And then when people heard me speak, they were like, okay, there's a reason to listen. But until that happened, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, I almost became invisible because of all of the rich white men kind of at the table who love mm-hmm. to hear themselves talk. Yes. Um, and even, you know, as my career grew, I, I think that there is such beauty in being able to connect with the women that I've met in cannabis because they are so important. But I also think that we deserve so much more and the media, especially around, you know, three or four years ago really was, speaking a lot about how, you know, this is the first industry that women have an equal share, or even more representation than men. And unfortunately, that's not true. Mm-hmm. The lower kind of rungs, I'll say, even though I don't believe in that kind of hierarchy, but the less paid positions, um, yes, there are, you know, many women in those. But when we look to CEOs and executives and people who are in like real decision-making positions, there are way less women than there should be. Mm-hmm. and women are inherently more creative and more collaborative and more kind. And also in, you know, my experience have had better business savvy even and Mm -hmm. better communication skills and being able to, you know, really bring a team together and execute. Um, And so I think that women need a bigger seat at the table here. And I think that especially black and brown women Mm -hmm. need to have a voice in this um, as we kind of move our industry forward. I mean, if we want the strongest industry possible, we need a diverse representation of people. And um, as a queer woman myself, I also would love to see more of the LGBT community Mm -hmm. participate um, in the cannabis industry because that's also been something that I've, um, you know, been lacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, and that's very true. I feel like I don't, really hear about that much which is yeah you don't yeah which is why it's really cool people like you are paving the way for others to be able to do that and that's such a beautiful thing that you're making these moves but you're leaving this space so open that like hey we're we're only going to hold your hand to a certain point and then it's like it's you it's all you and it's your turn to shine Mm -hmm. which I think is really cool and more people need to have that mindset yes oh my god we are all in this together truly and Mm -hmm. one of the kind of guiding mantras of Matt and I in our business is to elevate the ecosystem and that just like you know the microbiome and soil that we are just as strong as I as our diversity Mm -hmm. just I mean look to cannabis genetics right we are stronger because of the insane array of diversity that we see in the genetics and in the the matrix of cannabis and the same type of thing can be applied to people, you know, and that it is my duty because I do have a voice and a platform and uh, a forum, you know, to be able to speak on not only cannabis education, but just the industry at large that I need to, you know, share that platform that I need to give voice to the voiceless and that I need to elevate people up who may not have a seat at the table already. Yeah, you have a calling and you can feel it. Just like you said, your intuitive self. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And it's like a responsibility. Yes, you know? yes. They're like, no, I, I want everybody who wants to be a part of this 
to have a chance to. Yeah, I love that. So Emma, what is something that you're geeking out hard on right now having to do with cannabis that you're fascinated by or that you're learning about currently? Mm, Great question. So I just went through um, in my course kind of the full history of cannabis and it really is like mind-blowing just how how the, the human relationship with cannabis has evolved over time. So from, you know, 2900 BC to have the Chinese emperor, you know, make reference to cannabis as a medicine through ancient Egypt and India and, you know, all the way through Jamestown settlers bringing cannabis to North America in the 1600s and then what happened with prohibition and kind of where we're at, where we're at now. This plant has, you know, really wormed its way into our lives. Like we have had such, a deep relationship with it and it has given us so much. And I think that, you know, there, there still is so much to be learned from the plant and, um, you know, shared with the plant. So I think that that's beautiful. And then on the kind of, uh, opposite side of, or I won't say opposite, but on the more like research, like nerdy side, I've, I've been following Delta eight THC and I've also now been following THCO mm-hmm. and kind of seeing what, these derivatives of THC um, mean, you know, for the industry and how the federal government is going to respond given the, the gray area of kind of legalese that we have uh, now in the 2018 Farm Bill that says that, you know, all derivatives of hemp are legal besides Delta-9 THC. And so we're seeing this Delta-8, we're seeing THCO and and kind of figuring out what that means from a public health perspective, how we can make sure that these products are safe if they are safe and, um, and you know, how, how we can ensure that people are having good experiences with them if they do have access to them um, is something that I think is a, a pressing problem for the industry right now. Yeah. Delta nine really has, I mean, we've, been talking about Delta 9 and Brandon and I have kind of taken it every now and then and we've enjoyed it, but it's crazy how big of a loophole it is for people who obviously not the high dosers, but if people want to consume and feel some sort of something, Delta 9 is definitely that loophole, which is so crazy to me. Cause I'm like, why would all derivatives from hemp be, you know, like, it's just so weird. Cause everything has a, it's also like, how is the federal government going to gonna pick apart like all the other derivatives of it? You yeah. know, like whenever they're like THC can't be this and like, okay, well, what about this? Well, what about this one? How about this one? <laughs> like, how are you going to say that it's federally illegal still? It's crazy. Exactly. It's so overwhelming clearly to the federal government. I mean, even CBD, like the 2018 yeah. farm bill made CBD available for commercial kind of purposes, but the FDA still doesn't support the interstate transfer of CBD and still doesn't support CBD being sold as a dietary supplement. So like that is, that is in great conflict. Yeah. <laughs> the FDA's kind of stance on it versus what the USDA is coming out with. Um, and so people are, you know, doing, doing what they're doing and selling CBD and, and, you know, selling it across state lines and, um, you know, there have only been very, very few cases, I think, that the FDA has kind of cracked down on that. Um, and to your point about, you know, all the derivatives of hemp, exactly. I mean, there are, you know, there's Delta-6, Delta-10 THC. There's all these different forms of THC that can be made um, and many different forms of different cannabinoids that can mm-hmm. be made in a lab and sold. I think that the, the problem lies with, you know, a Delta-8 or a THCO in that, we have no federal or governmental oversight or regulation as to how these 
derivatives are being made into how they're being packaged. We have no idea of the actual potency in them. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, the vape crisis that happened a couple of years ago yes. where vape carts mm-hmm. were making people really sick and causing, you know, lung failure because it was being cut with vitamin E acetate and other things that you're never supposed to heat and inhale and draw into your lungs. And so that's where I, you know, present a critique of selling Delta 8 and Delta mm-hmm. or Delta 8 and DHCL um, just because, you know, there are some shady companies out there yes. that choose profits over people and cut corners and are ultimately, you know, duping people into taking this medicine, quote unquote, medicine that's supposed to help them. And then people have really bad experiences. Well, they're going to feel pretty poorly about cannabis in general. Yes. Then, mm-hmm. And that makes me angry yes. because, you know, it's, it is like conning people mm-hmm. into believing that, a plant medicine, this plant medicine that really could, you know, benefit them in many different ways is not going to just because this company wanted to make a quick buck. Yeah. And, and then it, it gives a bad taste to everyone. And then it, it gets harder to reel people back into trying to try cannabis the proper way again, because they've been rubbed so wrong the first time. Exactly. Exactly. And we just can't afford that as an industry. I mean, right, we need yeah. to grow mm-hmm. our consumer base as much as possible. Yes, and companies like that make it very difficult. Yeah. Um, so we know being in, educa- in the education part of the cannabis space can be a lot at times, but it's always nice to have a little help along the way. Who have been people that have inspired you and moved you from the start of your cannabis journey until now? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've had so many wonderful people who have supported me um, and really given me, you know, opportunity to do webinars or seminars or, you know, even hop on podcasts, really anybody who's invited me to ever speak on a podcast, such as the two of you, I have such immense gratitude for that because it's been um, the best way that I've been able to share free information. And that's what I love. Um, In the beginning of kind of launching myself from pharma, the dispensary where I was at, um, connecting with different women and building community around, um, around that was so imperative to kind of my, uh, establishment as a thought leader and my success in the educational realm. Um, so Lisa Snyder and Samantha Montero of Tilkativity where they're based in Portland and they're a wonderful group, um, of women who, you know, create more social events and different educational events for women in cannabis. They're wonderful Zoe Wilder, who she um, is a publicist based out of L.A., she has been so good to me in terms of connecting me with different journalists and different people, you know, who do podcasts and different opportunities for me to get my message out there. Um, Of course, my business partner, Matt, has, you know, supported me along the way. We've really supported each other in in building, um, you know, a, a dream business for the last three years and countless, countless more people who have just even reached out with a word of support and gratitude, even over Instagram, like that means more than, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, there's this business is generally pretty thankless and, um, you know, it also doesn't really make much money. It is, it is a labor of love. And what a great way to say that. Mm -hmm. To have that just support from people who, you know, say, Oh, this, mean something to me or what you, you know, spoke about or taught really resonated with me or let me help myself or my grandma or my cousin or whoever, like that is, 
that's what it's all about. Yes. That's what I'm in it for. Exactly. It's always a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And it really has helped keep me going. Yeah. Totally. People who support you and believe in you and love what you're doing and they're learning because of you along the way. Like it's like, like you said earlier, you have like a big, it's like you wear a lot of hats, but you're feeling called to do all that. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So Emma, you've been coast to coast to help many different cannabis communities. What's something that has stood out the same within each community that you visited? Mm, Oh, great question. I think that just the the passion and love for the plant. Yes. I think that that, you know, has really um, been the thread among the, the many different states and even Canada, you know, I got to visit their um, burgeoning industry a couple years ago. And just and there are people there who have been fighting to, you know, have access to this plant, legal access to this plant for years and years and years, like decades. And that, that like permeates, you know, throughout the community. And even though, you know, the industry in Oklahoma is way different than the industry in Oregon, mm-hmm. still, you know, there are, there are people in both who just have such love and respect for cannabis and are truly in it because they want to get the best medicine possible out to as many people as possible. And I have such respect for those people because I mean it's not like I said it's pretty thankless it's a grind Mm -hmm. and it's something that you have to work on every day but they are so committed to that you like you really can feel that commitment that pact that they've made with themselves in their soul that like this they have to get this plant medicine to people and um, I just it's so inspiring you know it really is so inspiring you can feel the energy of those people always yes Oh my God. And like they, they're the ones who made this a reality. They're the ones who, that made, you know, legal access to cannabis a reality. And so have a lot, um, a lot to thank them for. That's awesome. That's so good. So Emma, earlier we talked about how your family felt about cannabis and how my question is, how would you simply break down to somebody who is like against or hesitant or doesn't understand the versatile benefits of such a healing plant? Mm, So I, first and foremost, as I've kind of said, I, I operate with reason. So I'm never going to go to one extreme of like cannabis is amazing. It can cure everything, you know, or the other way of cannabis is horrible and it's going to kill you. Um, I, I kind of work with what we know to be true about cannabis. And one of the things that I lead with, especially for people who are afraid or who are operating out of mentality that cannabis is akin to like heroin, is to say, okay, well, to start with, cannabis has never directly or physiologically killed somebody. And that's because cannabis compounds do not bind to parts of the brain that control our heartbeat, that control our breathing, or that control our brain function. So cannabis can never shut those three things off. Wow. Those are good. Yeah. That's, um, that's simple. That's, that, that, I, that was news to me. That's, yeah. So I think that's, that's amazing. A... That's a great thing to tell my mom. So thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. It, it really helps because it then immediately removes the fear of like, oh my God, this is going to kill me. That this is, a, you know, something that's going to, that something's going to harm me. Mm-hmm. And then moving forward from that to really look at a comparative analysis between cannabis and other drugs. And when I say drugs, I even mean like, you know, nicotine and caffeine and mm-hmm. how cannabis has the lowest uh, risk 
among all of those classes of drugs that really like there are hardly any side effects, especially if we are very intentional about the dose yes. that we, you know, look to um, consume. I think that that's the most important thing is that the, the dose of cannabis, cannabis mm-hmm. is very dose dependent and that when you start to, you know, creep up a higher dose that then you can incur side effects like anxiety and paranoia and elevated heart rate. But even then, again, go back to the first point, even then it will not kill you. It will be uncomfortable and you'll have to ride through it. And there are many, you know, things that we can do to try to make it more comfortable for you in that space, but it's not, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. I love that. Even, um, so I just left my job as a butt tender and I, as I was, you know, patients would come in, I would say, you know, like, it's not going to kill you. Like the worst you'll be is like, you'll be in the couch, but at the end of the day, you can't compare it to anything else, especially when it was newer patients and to just kind of put that into perspective for them. And even to say like, Hey, my mom who's never consumed, consumed and like, yeah, she got a little high and she felt very uncomfortable and she thought she was going to die and have to go to the hospital. But all I had to do was talk her down. And then even just making like some sort of connection like that with people, it really helps just to break down like the, hey, like this isn't going to kill you. And then also encouraging the microdosing. I feel like Brandon and I say this all the time, microdosing isn't encouraged enough in this, in this can in the space of cannabis. And that's another thing I used to tell my patients is you can go every single day consuming cannabis for your entire life without getting high. And they would just kind of look at me with a held head tilt. And I'm like, yeah, you just have to find the right products and the right person to help you with that stuff. But you don't have to get high a day in your life. And a lot of my patients who came in for that reason for not wanting to get high, they achieved that. They never got high a day. And then eventually they were like, okay, well, let's, you know, bump this half a gummy up to one and they eventually enjoyed it. But from the beginning, it's never something they had to experience because we went through the right journey of, you know, asking the questions and all the things to get to what they needed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you touched on, you know, some great points of one, making the personal connection of, you know, I, I have done this or I've like witness people do this and they are safe and they're good. And even if it's been uncomfortable, they've been able to ride through it. Those types of like, I don't want to say survival stories, but those types of personal experiences Mm -hmm. really help to encourage community members to say, okay, you know, this, this is a safe and trustworthy source and maybe I can do this too then. And also when it comes to, you know, cannabis dose and cannabis experience, getting high is definitely a part of some people's experience, but it doesn't have to be a guarantee Mm -hmm. or a given. And actually one of the most beautiful things about THC is that you can develop tolerance to THC's intoxicating effects, but it doesn't mean that you'll diminish the therapeutic value. And so if people don't want to experience any psychotropic activity, they do not want to feel high at all, well, then we can conduct a really slow regimented dose increase until, you know, they've developed a sufficient tolerance the psychotropic effects, but are still gaining value from the therapeutic effects. And that, I agree, is something that's not talked about enough and something that is really could be very useful for Mm -hmm. medical patients who don't want to have that experience of being high or, you know, maybe they do sometimes, but during the day when they want to medicate, they, you know, want to retain a greater clarity of mind or whatever it may be, you know, there, there are so many options when it comes to cannabis. Yes. And, and that's the know, beauty of it too. 
Exactly. There, there can be something for everyone. It's mm-hmm. just about asking the right questions, engaging in that kind of active listening with your patient, and providing strategies for consumption that will work with their lifestyle. Yes, that's so important. So, Emma, um, we ask this question to everyone, but what is the stigma around cannabis that you would like to see changed? Hmm. Oh, this is a good one. Because I feel like my answer would be different, you know, if it was years ago. And then it would be like, oh, you know, cannabis is for degenerates. Obviously, I want to change that. But I feel like where we're at now... Um, I, I would like to change the stigma that there are, you know, there's only a duality and there's no gray area when it comes to cannabis consumers. And and I'll explain, I feel like, you know, in the way that, um, the, you know, the world and the media have kind of looked at cannabis consumers and the people who are participating in the industry, it's either like, you love to get high and you love to smoke a ton of weed and like you're very much in that kind of mainstream culture or you're taking a more clinical, you know, healthcare professional approach to it. And I think that there is so much in the middle that's still to be explored that really anybody and everybody can be a cannabis consumer. A cannabis consumer does not like look like one type of person Mm -hmm. or does not sound like one type of person or does not have an attitude of one type of person that, you know, it can be your grandmother or it can be your best friend or it can be the soccer mom or it can be the high achieving professional and that their each of their, you know, cannabis consumption styles can look completely different. And I think that's something that, um, you know, I'd like to see people open their eyes to yes. that mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, in that way, like consuming alcohol or even like consuming you know that mm-hmm. anybody and everybody can do this and they they just might that they don't have to fit into such narrow specific boxes yes emma that was really great no one has actually said no. something like that before so that was a great answer i expected I that it. from you though of course. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> well emma i think this wraps up today's episode we have enjoyed you having just being on here and taking the time your story and everything you do so thank you so much for just being here with us and sharing your energy we are so grateful yes oh my god thank y'all and thank you both for what you're doing in oklahoma it's so important and I'm honored to be but a small part of it. Oh, thank you, Emma. We are grateful for you. So you can also follow her consulting firm and everything they're doing on Instagram at Eminent Consulting and that's E-M-I-N-E-N-T C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G. Thank you for hanging with us today, guys, and stay tuned for next week's episode. As always, Brand, stay medicated. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, 
Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.